This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. What's going on, everyone, and welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. This episode, you are in for a treat. We are joined by a friend who is always learning and pushing the needle forward in the domain of endpoint security. Our guest is Ganesh Pai. He is the CEO and founder of Uptix. If you're a fan of creating a more secure future, this is the episode for you. Without further ado, let's jump into it. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. In the studio today, we have a fellow security tinkerer. We're speaking to Ganesh Pai. Ganesh is the founder and CEO of Uptix and also a friend of the Hacker Valley studio. Ganesh, I feel like we should have had this episode a while ago, but at least we have it today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I do agree we should have had this conversation a while back, but here we are. Thanks to you guys. <laughs> Absolutely, Ganesh. We met well over a year ago. I think it was one of those donuts that we do with security tinkerers, and we instantly clicked on philosophy. We instantly clicked on conversation about cybersecurity. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Thank you. So uh, I can describe my background in uh, simple ways. One way to uh, say who I am is uh, I'm an engineer by uh, training, a technologist by vocation, and uh, entrepreneur by choice. I've been uh, quite fortunate to be in the company of the right people at the right time, which has made a big difference in my uh, entrepreneurial journey all that really means is i have the propensity sometimes to jump off the cliff <laughs> and try real hard and uh, swim and find shore and uh, thanks to the company that i've kept i've been uh, fortunately been able to uh, do well across uh, various ventures yeah you said you're entrepreneur by choice but would you really say that is by choice or do you feel like there's some internal driver that is bringing you to entrepreneurship Probably the challenge which comes with identifying a potential opportunity and very specifically, I'll tie it back to the domain of cybersecurity. Unlike many of the seasoned cybersecurity experts that I've been fortunate to meet as a part of the Tinkerers network, including both 
yourself and Ron, I had a background primarily in developing software for constructive reasons. Little did I realize in the past that everything that I was building was for a constructive purpose. But if people possessed the same skills and the knowledge, and if they had a different intent, you know, you could one could arguably say malicious intent, they could inflict uh, damage because they knew so much about uh, software and technology. And that was among the, you know, many one of the aha moments to say that perhaps I can potentially make a difference as a defender by trying to provide a technology which might make a difference, right? So in some ways, that's what reeled me in, perhaps the existence of the challenge that despite so many vendors and so many technologies out there, you know, cybersecurity challenges are probably going to remain for the next 100 years. Hopefully myself, yourself, and a few of us can make a difference along the way. Yeah, hopefully. And there's so much to protect in cybersecurity. I think we almost feel like chickens with our heads cut off sometimes, like trying to protect this and secure that. And having that software background, what made you choose to focus on the realm of endpoint and found upticks? That's a great question. Along the way, there were a couple of different influences. I come from having built large-scale telecom systems and software where tracking things in close to real time was of very high importance. One of the things that myself and my co-founders had accomplished in the past is that when the calls come off the radio waves for a cellular system, we built the backend which routed the calls and made sure that they terminated the right way and people could talk with each other. So that ability to understand the call system behavior played a big role in influencing that, do I have the ability to understand how operating systems and endpoints might behave and might there be a way to like use that prior experience to say that I can do something in a similar way for doing real-time detection was one part. And then another part was along the way as an entrepreneur, you build ventures and they get acquired and we were at another organization. And what we noticed was a system which was in place called as the query system. And uh, it was interesting because it is used for debug and diagnostics unrelated to security, but uh, it was powerful in the terms of how it was built. And it became a source of inspiration by combining prior experience of real-time software development coupled with the debug and diagnostics approach that I saw at, uh, during my tenure at Akamai and said, hey, maybe we can do something in, uh, in this domain. And uh, that's what got us going. In the summer of 2015, in terms of ideation, and a year later, the venture was launched. You're such a capable leader. You're a capable practitioner. I'd love to hear what is your personal or professional superpower, and I'd love to hear a story where it was most evident. I'd say that I probably have the ability to understand the technology, of course, up Almost up until the start of this venture, I was very hands-on in both in terms of being an engineer of sorts, if you will, writing code or doing a lot of work. But the aha moment as a part of this venture was actually connecting with the customer base, understanding their challenges, the ability to 
interact with them at actual human level because cybersecurity is such an incredibly noisy domain. Understanding fundamentally what is it that someone's trying to really solve I would argue that what has, at least in my opinion, the biggest difference where I thought I lacked the ability was the ability to connect with uh, the cybersecurity practitioners, not having uh, known who they are and how they approach things and being a complete noob, if you will, in this domain, not having more than less than 10 years of expertise out here. That ability to connect and inspire confidence that, yes, we do know the subject, we've taken a different approach, and inspiring that confidence to take us on and partner with us and move things forward is where I felt that I've had the good fortune of making the biggest difference for the venture. I think one of the other superpowers that you might also have, and maybe this is a superpower of upticks, is the ability to ask questions. When I think of upticks, I also think of OS Query, which gives you the ability to ask questions to endpoints. And yeah. I've always been curious, you know, what kind of questions are the hardest to answer? What are the questions that lead people to going to these solutions and spending their time and even money on answering these security related questions? What would you say is like one of the toughest questions to answer in our industry? I would say one of the toughest questions to answer in the industry is related to a behavioral change. And this is where majority of the noise uh, comes from, right? You look at a system and you say that something is going on and is that a useful signal or is that noise? Because if someone's doing something which is benign and you pick it up and you try to answer the question that with the high fidelity, is this a noteworthy signal that someone has to pay attention to or is it something that you can ignore is, uh, is, is an important question. Now, OS query itself doesn't really help in that sense. OS query is an excellent sensor or it is also a tool where you can ask questions. But the aha moment for us was that if you use something like OS Query, you can do a couple of things. You can extract the state of a system by scraping and figuring out what the configurations might look like. Or you can also tap into it to say that all the behavioral changes in a system, can they be transmitted to the backend or to a location where you can then try to extract some signals and draw conclusions, right? So where OS Query has made a difference is that it allows you to do both uh, proactive security to go look at things and check and say that, hey, is this, you know, is basic hygiene there? Or look at uh, the behavioral changes of a system and try to answer questions by doing some uh, deductions based on that, right? So and that's where I would say that Optics has been quite fortunate by leveraging some of those thoughts because what we did is we converted it into a sensor and then decided that, look, whether it's for proactive or reactive reasons, we'll do everything based on what the data tells us versus trying to like ask too many questions of the endpoint in real time. I know that was a mouthful, happy to like dive in and elaborate more, but at a high level, both uh, uh, OS Query to answer your question, the TLDR version, as they say today, too long. <laughs> it is, uh, you know, it allows you to do both uh, proactive and reactive security. 
You know, Einstein said that if he had a problem that he had to solve and his life depended on it and he only had an hour to do it, he would spend 55 minutes formulating what the question actually is. And then the rest of the time is getting to the answer. And I think that's so true, especially in cybersecurity, when you look at incident response. Sometimes you have to ask those right questions, but sometimes you don't have an hour. You have quite a smaller amount of time. How do you get to asking the right question? What are some of the tenants that you've seen your customers or you do to get to the right question? That is a terrific question, if I may, only because you bought the word up of incident responders. And usually if someone's responding to an incident, stuff is already on the ceiling or on the fan. And what's of paramount importance, given both your collective background is, how do you reduce the dwell time and figure out what exactly has happened? To that end, uh, one of the things that we have and what uh, fortunately, you know, a query-driven model facilitates is the historical telemetry, which is the lead up to the event. You may not know that uh, you've been breached or what have you, but when sufficient signals emerge, the ability to dial back and ask a series of questions or do a quick triage and kind of look back at the history, like using a flight recorder, Everything is 2020 in hindsight. It never is 2020 when it's actually happening because you really don't know, right? So that's the nature of the beast. And that's where the big difference has been that all these events which look benign suddenly all sum up to be something significant when you know something bad typically has already happened. Now you can put all kinds of things in while uh, this is happening. That's where the power of the system based on harnessing telemetry has come into play. You know, how can I figure out things are heading in the wrong direction? You can do your best efforts, but more often than not, to your question about incident response, the biggest value comes when stuff has already happened. And how do you do your risk reduction by saying that this is exactly what happened or this is the lead up to this? Did that make sense to you? Perfect sense. It makes me think, you know, we're talking about asking the right questions and also finding the right answers, the evolution of where we've gone as an industry and even where technology has gone. And we're leaning more and more on things like machine learning and artificial intelligence. Some people think it's fluff. Others really are focusing on implementing that type of solution. Where do you think artificial intelligence and machine learning plays a part in cybersecurity and also incident response? Chris mentioned a little bit ago about finding the right problems to solve. And AI and machine learning is one of those areas, right? Inherently trying to find out outliers or doing anomaly detection, we've had our fair share of engineers and machine learning practitioners apply a lot of algorithms to figure out how can we extract uh, anomalous and outlier behavior. And it's intrinsically a very hard problem to solve. But then there is another category of problems around insights which are more meaningful. So for example, in large deployments, uh, trying to figure out based on uh, runtime what software is running and doing attribution to which organization, for example, helps people alleviate and understand all the software that I have. If there is a drift, if I'm looking at 100,000 servers, which organization is running what, these are things which can be learned, right? So the point being that 
when you pick machine learning and when you pick AI, you really need to pick problems for which you know that there is potentially going to be a solution at the end of the day. If you try to intrinsically pick, always try to find the needle in the haystack, it's going to be extremely hard because in the context of machine learning, you can train certain uh, models and it's very hard because models don't go across from one use case to another that easily. They're very specific for a use case. It's a lot easier when it's something what we typically see in image processing where you train the machine to say, here's a picture of a thousand cats, and then you show the next cat and ask the question, is this a cat or not, right? That's a great use case for video and image processing. But the domain that we are, where we're trying to figure out someone logging in at 3 a.m. in the morning is necessarily the right behavior or not, is a lot harder problem to solve. I want you to indulge me for a moment, and I want you to transport to three, five years into the future. And when you look around at Endpoint and cybersecurity, what do you see? couple of uh, different things, you know, in line with the transition and uh, the trends, the endpoint primarily probably is going to be, as is the case already, driven to a great extent by a browser or an application really interacting with uh, a service in the cloud. We already see services such as uh, Microsoft Word and all being run as Office 365 or as uh, G Suite. Uh, now, if you break it down into like the kind of users, you might see uh, two kinds of uh, use cases. Those who use it for uh, productivity reasons, as in uh, uh, people in an organization as a part of a sales team or FP&A or in marketing and accounting, they probably will be predominantly interacting with uh, the endpoint uh, as a basis, but everything is actually in the cloud. And then there are, uh, you know, probably to a much lesser extent, users such as developers who are doing a lot more work on their endpoint and uh, they're building software and what have you. And that's probably going to be where some of uh, the endpoint work is going to be. But the way a lot of the evolution has been happening, that's the promised area where things are supposed to go. I see a lot of that happening, but... uh, Where I personally feel is that the endpoint itself changes, but the applications evolve in a way such that for productivity or other reasons, one is always going to find some application and uh, it may not go away as fast as the trends might dictate that might be happening. But personally, I, I think that it's inevitably heading, not my liking personally, but I think that's the way the direction is heading, which is dictated by how phones and tablets are with uh, closed ecosystems and apps controlled uh, by an application marketplace. And that's the direction that I see the endpoint heading. Not personally that I'm a big fan of it, but uh, that's the direction I think uh, it's going to go. I could see that also. And it reminds me of really what we're going through right now, which is digital transformation companies yeah. and People, organizations are forced to evolve during this global pandemic and be more connected in different ways that we either weren't ready for or didn't expect. What have been some of the challenges that you've had to face being CEO and founder of Upticks and and leading this organization through this wave of digital transformation? That's a good question. Um, last year, when right after RSA, when we all headed back home, 
COVID became a real big thing. And by end of March, we were all in uh, lockdown mode. What I didn't realize at Uptix as an organization that how well prepared we were. And I didn't know that at that point. Uh, personally, I was a little concerned about what challenges might we face with productivity and other issues. So it turns out that my worries amounted to nothing, primarily because if I look at it in hindsight, everything that we did for productivity reasons was on a, a laptop. Everything else that we had was always in the cloud. And everything that we had in office were a bunch of uh, switches and uh, access points. People not coming into office and working uh, from home seamlessly happened for us. The big uh, change also has been because of this, we've kind of adapted really well that remote first uh, became a thing. And that's like really reflected well in our hiring across all geographies. But if I were to like rewind time and look at it, was I that confident that things would work as well as they have? I would say no, because probably like everyone else, I was thinking at that point, what's going to happen next? But uh, fortunately for us, everything transpired the right way, if you will. You know, I've been in cybersecurity for almost 15 years at this point, and I've seen a tremendous change in the community and the cybersecurity environment and even the threat environment. What are some of the biggest changes that you've noticed over your career? A couple of things which I will share, and this is a little bit of a learning thing uh, for me as well, is in conversations with many security practitioners, uh, I was trying to get a full understanding of the security spectrum. If you were to stretch your two hands and look at it and say on one side is the protective end of the spectrum and the other side is the detection end of the spectrum. The protection and uh, toolings such as firewalls and antivirus and things like that were where the biggest share of the market was. As an entrepreneur, when you are deciding, you know, when you're going to provide a solution, where exactly are you going to fit in that spectrum? It was almost like 60% to 70% of uh, the market share was on the protection side. But the evolution was you always had firewalls and you had all these various tools for protection. I would still argue that protection is what uh, many people might still uh, favor over uh, the detection end of the spectrum, which is where we fit, which is we detect either for audit or compliance reasons or for behavioral detection. And of course, slowly we've uh, started meeting in the middle when it comes to blocking and remediation uh, aspects. But what I think the balance is definitely shifting. And of course, we as a venture are uh, definitely contributing uh, towards that cause. But what I'm still looking at is, you know, what is going to be the consensus and convergence among practitioners, especially with deeper security background with people like yourself, uh, Chris and Ron, is that where do you see the, the fine balance, right? Of course, one wants to invest heavily in protection upfront because that's the proverbial aspirin, if you will, and detection is great. It reduces dwell time. It improves your risk posture and all of that. And, uh, you know, the nice thing personally for me is that the growth trajectory on the detection and the audit side as uh, overall spend, which is important for a venture that I'm a part of, is on a greater ramp compared to while the protection market is still growing, it's still 
is probably it's not growing as fast as the detection market is growing, right? That's one observation, big observation that I'll share. It's personally probably mine. I don't know if your thoughts would vary, but I'll pause you for a second. No, I think you're absolutely right. The more we can do for each other, the, the better things are going to be. And things have changed so drastically. And it's almost like it used to be easy to be a generalist. And today things are so diced up into different avenues within cybersecurity that really now you're starting to get to specialists. And that's one thing that we've noticed is that the more specialized people get, the more we need tools that do multiple things or really secure a wide breadth of a problem statement. What do you think, Ron? Absolutely. And it really reminds me of my mornings when I'm trying to learn something or trying to stay ahead of the curve and focus on what is the future of cybersecurity. And I've been getting overwhelmed more and more about learning more about cloud, learning more about how does EDR solutions work underneath of the hood and seeing which solutions are best for a specific scenario. And it makes me wonder, you know, what are the habits that maybe a CEO, a practitioner have to stay on top of everything? What would you say are some of your habits to stay sharp in our industry, Ganesh? One of the things which I personally do is try to read as much as I can, whether it is information letters which probably come in based on some subscriptions or uh, sometimes paying attention to the Y Combinator hacker news where things are surfacing to the top based on their relevance and keeping top of technology. But uh, importantly, from a security perspective, you're trying to look at a couple of things. Of course, you want to make sure as a venture that uh, the technology that you provide is not only relevant and potentially solving problems today, but the outlook of where are things heading, right? Because in general, I feel that the technology choices, as an example, Kubernetes and containers, is where the R&D and the developers and the CIOs organizations are deciding where they're going to be deploying, building their production software, the crown jewels of an organization. Those choices are probably going to be dictating what the CISOs and the security practitioners in an organization as to like, what's the new asset and asset category do I want to cover? That in turn is going to dictate what uh, providers uh, such as Uptex and the organization that I represent to say, how should we understand what's a shift from a virtual machine to a Kubernetes plus container now orchestrated and deployed into AWS or GCP means for a CIO or a VP of engineering? And how does that influence the SecOps team? And what are their thoughts in terms of how do they want to secure? And if we were to be provider of a solution, how can we meaningfully provide something which helps them in that transition, right? That's the thing that, that I try to look for. Uh, it's one of those things where I've learned that technology pulls in different direction, dictates how practitioners follow in terms of what they've got to secure and protect next. And as a provider or potentially as a vendor, we have to decide uh, how are we going to quickly adapt or what are we going to do to make sure that we can help uh, those who have to protect those new asset categories, if you will. 
And I did want to ask, there's someone listening to this podcast right now, and they're trying to manage chaos. They're trying to have a handle on their endpoints. Maybe they had a recent digital transformation. Maybe a lot of their employees had to go remote, and they're really trying to get a handle on that situation. What is that piece of advice that you could give to everyone that they could use tomorrow to have a better handle on endpoint? There are ways uh, you can start looking at this and it's, you know, whether it's a solution from a vendor or not, first and foremost is you need to get a perspective of what is it that you have for your uh, asset in terms of the real estate. As the cliched saying goes, if you don't know what you have, how can you even secure it, right? Right. So you basically starts with your inventory and having an understanding of what you have. And then come the incremental steps of like, do you want to detect something on that and understand uh, what might be going wrong? Or do you want to, if you're a smaller shop, you might actually be better off putting some protections in place even before you get to detections because you want to at least take the basic steps of uh, ensuring that bad stuff doesn't happen. And then I'd say that uh, once you have that, and typically as your organization grows, you have a need for appreciating whether it's your real estate in the cloud, as in your server workload endpoints, or your productivity endpoints, and as in your Mac and Windows endpoints. What can you deploy out there? It doesn't necessarily have to be a commercial solutions, commercial solutions to help. But there's lots of places where having uh, the right amount of telemetry and if you can put a backend together yourself, you can get the visibility. Or you can always look for vendors such as ourselves who might provide that value to you. But knowing that then allows you to transition to say that, do I want to put additional protective controls in place or do I want to understand a little bit more on detections? But it all begins with just getting basic inventory of what you have and knowing what is it that you need to protect. Awesome advice, Ganesh. Thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the mics with us. It truly was an honor. For those that want to stay up to date with you and all the great things that you're doing at Uptix, what are the best ways that people can do that? Yeah, so we take great pride in offering a lot of material, especially in our resource section. And we offer a lot of free tutorials because we've had the good fortune of drafting behind uh, OS Query, which is an open source initiative. And our threat research team is strong and they do a lot of research around the, you know, how can the telemetry from OS Query and all can be used for meaningful threat detection, whether it's using Yara or other techniques. And we publish a lot of our blogs. I would say that the resource section of our website acts as a good source of tracking what we do. And of course, our website is being augmented each day. So that's another place to track uptakes to see what's new. Awesome. We will be sure to drop that in the show notes. Would highly recommend everyone to check out the research. Let's all get better together and we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.